shape. And, but now we have to enter, after we've dealt with the first two areas of basic human need and the acquisition of additional possessions, now we go into the third area, which requires a lot of study in terms of the applications and attitudes of bitach and of trust. The Haman, what is this third area? In Yane Ishtay, how I relate in terms of attitudes and applications of trust in regards to my wife, one of my children, B'nai Beisai, and all the other members of my household, crave of my relatives, I have of the ones that are comrades and people that love me, the Oivav and the people that, uh, let's say, dislike me, Umiyadav, Umakirv, and the people that know me and are acquainted with me and, and have different levels of relationships with me. Vashalamalamimanu, and those people that are above myself in status, Vashalamakamimanu, and those that are underneath me in status, Mikitas Benayadam, and the various groups of people that are found. Right? So basically what this third area is going to deal with is all interpersonal relationships, right? and how we apply concepts of trust into and interject them and infuse them into our attitudes on building relationships, preserving relationships, and seeing a relationship in its proper perspective with this blend of Bitafen. And this is a very fascinating thing. Now, the, the proper way and the proper path in applying trust in these particular areas of relationships with people, kashera sapper, they will be as I will tell you in this next section. Vahu, and in a general way, ein adam nimlak me'echad mishnei Every individual find themselves in one or the other, one of two situations. Right? And this he's saying in a very general way. One of two situations, and he's going to briefly describe each situation and give us the attitudes for each one of the situations. And this is a very important thing. He says, what are the two basic categories that we have to deal with when we're dealing with this concept of friends, relatives, family, and all of the rest? He says, so we have two categories. One, either that he's a loner and he's basically almost like a stranger in this world he's all by himself or he's a person who has family is involved with people so you can have two kinds of people a person that walks through life basically as a loner just doesn't have anybody or is attached to anything involved with anybody doesn't have family doesn't have friends doesn't seem to be interreacting and the circumstances of life have just created that for him. And the second person is a person that's very much, morning, noon, and night, very much tied down and involved in terms of obligations and responsibilities. And most of his day is in some interreaction with one of these groups of people that were listed. So you can have one of these two groups. Right? And naturally, each group would hope in some ways, or think in some ways, that the other side is a lot greener. You know, that's human nature. You know, if I could only have a little more time for myself, and the person that's the loner says, if I would only have one shtickle relative, you know, every person sees the other, you know, the other side of the fence as being the greener one. But in any case, it's important for both these individuals 
to be able to deal with their situations in the best way possible, and in order to be able to deal with their particular circumstances, either of being a loner or a stranger in this world, or of being this person that is so heavily tied down and obligated and responsible for other other people that, that are tied to him or interact with him, both of these, in order to be able to deal with both situations correctly, we have to be able to properly apply concepts of Bitaqan. And this is what he's out to do. He's going to deal with both areas. He's obviously going to deal with the loner first and what the attitudes of the loner should be. How does he cope with his situation? How does he see his situation within the spectrum of Bitaqan? And then he's going to go on to the, the situation of the person that's really tied down because he's the exact opposite of the loner. He has so many people and so many obligations and responsibilities tied to him due to those relationships. And he begins with the loner. Now, and he says, the Yiyanachri, and this is a very interesting thing, because and here, when we're going to learn this, this requires a certain amount of patience to learn this, because the Chalvas HaVavas almost speaks out of the two ends of his mouth at the same time. He's going to glorify the loner, and then he's going to glorify the Baal Mishpacha. And each one is the exact opposite, seemingly, of the other arguments. Right? So it almost seems like he's, that he's you know, talking out of the two sides of, of his mouth. So it needs a certain amount of patience to see the particular point or the particular attitude that the Chayim HaSavav is to say. So don't take any one of these just in its point-blank form without seeing the total picture. And he starts with the stranger. And if he is a, a loner, what this loner can see in his situation of being all alone that he has the ability and he has the frame of mind and he has the potential to designate energies and time and concentration to developing a relationship with Hashem because after everything is said and done, being tied down to so many people and having to perform and having to produce and so on and so forth does prevent me from a certain amount of concentration and from a certain amount of direct contact with Hashem and direct relationship with Hashem. So therefore, when the loner sees himself in this position, it doesn't mean that a person is supposed to try to be a loner, knock off his family and run away and that kind of a thing, but if a person does see themselves being thrust into the circumstance of going through life seemingly very much alone, what the person should say to himself is, I'm really not alone. Because by everybody else being eliminated, it means that there are only two people in this room, and it's me and Hashem. And it gives me an opportunity to develop a certain communication and relationship with Hashem that would otherwise, just by time and obligation, not necessarily be possible. Right? Now, this is the first thing that the Chalvas HaVavit says. And the thing that comes to mind is a very famous story, which I might have related to you once before, about the Chafetz Chaim, at the funeral of his son. Are you familiar with the story of the Chafetz Chaim? The Chafetz Chaim had one son that he was extremely close to. He was close to his children altogether. But there was one particular son that he was extremely close to. It was the child that he had learned with very much, the child that together with he had he had written the Mishnabrura with, and, and he was extremely, very, very close in paternal ways and in spiritual ways with that particular child. And that child died in the lifetime of the Chafetz Chaim. 
And the story that is told over by uh, by relatives of the Chafetz Chaim is that at the funeral, right before the burial of his son, the Chafetz Chaim was known to have gone over to the Aram, gone over to the coffin, and said the following words: "This yet that in given drei Menschen." Until this point, there were three people: you, me, and Hashem. He says, "On yet then in and now there will only be two. It's me and you. And that's it's, it's a tremendous statement if you think of it. If you think of it, it's a tremendous statement at such a point of loss that the Chavetz Chaim, there are other versions of exactly what was said, but basically what the Chavetz Chaim was saying was that there was one thing that stood between me. That's the accurate way the story goes. Biz yetz is, an, is given einzach zu vishen mir and dir. There was one thing that was between me and you a reference to God, and thus is given, and that was the child. In other words, there was one thing that, when yet that one thing, then now that one thing is not there, now it's just me and you. And that's basically, I mean, that's a tremendous statement, and it's a, it's a level way, way beyond the level, the level of anybody that we can possibly imagine. But that's the concept that the Chavos HaVavos is saying here. If a person sees themselves thrust into a situation that they are terribly alone, that they should understand that there is obviously what to gain, that Hashem wants the person to gain from that situation of loneliness. Now, from that situation of being alone, right? Let's not, there's a difference between lonely and alone. From the situation of being alone, that's the distinction in fact. I'm alone, but I'm not lonely. Because what, that's exactly what the Chafetz Chaim is saying. Don't misinterpret the two. You might be alone, but you're not lonely because you have Hashem, you, you have the ability to have a relationship now with Hashem that you wouldn't have. Now, a person can say, that's very nice, does that mean that everybody that has a family doesn't have the relationship? No, obviously not. But Hashem wants sometimes that a person should be put into a circumstance where, he, that where the concentration is, if I have nothing else, and if Hashem is setting me up in a situation where I'm, so to speak, being pushed, pulled into, into facing a relationship with Hashem. Other people will face their relationship with Hashem because of their obligations and because of their responsibilities. For some reason, Hashem wanted that at this point in my life, with the neshama that I have, with the potential that I have, that this is the way that I should function at this point in time. But the point being that what the Chayvus HaVavus is saying is that the attitude of Bittachon always contributes a sense of purpose to the circumstance that I'm in. And that's the key word. Bitachin creates a sense of purpose. Now we have to search for the purpose. I'm alone. What could be the purpose of being alone? To which the Chavos HaVavos is saying that being alone can possibly have a purpose of a friendship and a comradeship with Hashem. That's number one. In those times where he seems to be desolate and totally alone. Now, the Yiftach Olav Begei and by virtue of the fact that he has nobody to count on, nobody to call on, except Hashem, this somewhere, in some ways makes his ability to trust Hashem more closer than other people. It doesn't mean that it's easy to trust Hashem in this situation, but by virtue of the fact that there are so many, there is a lack of so many of the pitfalls of trusting other situations, 
So by, uh, by, by elimination, I come to Hashem in a way that other people that have so many people involved in their lives can possibly get hooked up into other people and totally forget about Hashem completely. Statistically, I have less to hook myself to right, and, make, and make so many more mistakes in terms of my becoming. And now the Chayr Salvavit says something which is extremely beautiful. It's very, very beautiful. And he says the following. He says, V'yala alibay, and he should put it upon his heart, Geirus hanefesh ba'olam hazeh. He should think for a moment that after everything is said and done, we're really all strangers in this world. Who are we fooling? The truth of the matter is that the, the essence of every human being is his neshama which is a tremendous spiritual entity. And the neshama is really, really, really very much alone in this world. It's a world of physical things and physical enticements and lurings. And, and, and the neshama, when it comes into this world, if the neshama would only be able to talk, the neshama can talk, but if we would only be able to hear the talking of the neshama, the neshama is saying, where am I? I want to go home. I feel so strange in this particular place. So the person thinks to himself and analyzes to himself that really, really a lot of the things that I attribute to being comfort and familiarity and relationship in this world, they really aren't. They really aren't so much like that. And the truth of the matter is that my essence, the, uh, my true identity as a human being is really lonely to begin with, because this world is a physical world and this is not really the habitat of the neshama. And therefore, and all people here are strangers. I'm a, I'm a stranger, he's a stranger, the third person is a stranger. We are all really strangers here. We all don't possess that tremendous familiarity with this place. Like the verse says, like the Pasuk says, you are Geirim and Teishavim, you are, you are people that settle here but really don't belong here. The right? and he should think for, to himself for a moment, and, he, and a person should think to himself, and even if I do have family, family is not forever. Family is not forever. There comes a point in time that is as much social environment that I had, but when the time comes to leave this world, then I'm alone. I don't, I can't, I'm not taking anybody with me either. Now what is the Chayv HaSavavis trying to say? The Chayv HaSavavis is not trying to be morbid, but what the Chayv HaSavavis is trying to say is focus in on what the pathless, what the goal of life is all about. Is the goal of life to enjoy the day-to-day -day social environment and relationship or is the goal of, of all of life to be able to eventually stand in front of Hashem and say, I did my job. Right? And that's what the Chayvah Salvavis is saying here. Obviously, having social contact and social relationships can enhance or be part of a person's reaching his goals. But it's not the only way that the person can reach his goals. And therefore, the Chayvah Salvavis is saying, think for a minute. We have a tendency that we sometimes want things so much that we forget for what we want them and what really are the goals of those things that we want. They become so important that we forget that there are means towards an end and that they're not the end themselves. And therefore the Chayv says, sure, 
having social interaction in the relationships and all of this, this is all important, right? But is it, have you made it a goal? If you've made it a goal, you're not going to be able to cope with your being so alone. But if you understand that even having social interaction, the value of it is ultimately because this is something that will assist me to my ultimate goal of standing in front of Hashem and saying, I did my job, right? Because I had the support and I had the involvement and I had the interaction. So now this person thinks to himself, I have to get ready for that moment. So instead of moping around that I'm not going to and getting to that moment in the particular way that I desire, maybe I should be learning how to get to that particular goal with the circumstances that I have. And that's what the Chavis HaVav is to say. Think for a moment. For all the time that you have the, so for the people that have the social interaction, but that's not the goal. And the proof is because when they finally reach the goal, every person reaches the goal and stands there alone. Doesn't stand there. The goal is not to be in a big mass party in Eilam Haba. The goal is that you reach where you're supposed to reach as for the individual that you are. Right? And that's what the Chayva Savavis is pointing out over here. Now I'd like to, to, to talk about something here, but first let's just finish up the attitude here. There will come a time that I will return to be a stranger even if I had tremendous social social um, interaction in life. And then no relatives can help me at that moment in time. And even the most loyal son. And there's virtually nobody that can attach himself to me. Now, and after this, in other words, after understanding that, put it into perspective, why do you need the social interaction? You need it towards a goal. So think and never lose sight of the goal and make the means the goal. He says, after that, the Chavot Savavah says, think to yourself, think about all of the obligations and the heavy duties that are lifted from you by virtue of the fact that you don't have so many people tied to you. Right? And then he can see that this is also a goodness of Hashem. By the, be re, being relieved of these obligations, this is in a sense also a goodness of Hashem. Because there's no question that to keep myself alive is easier than having to keep myself alive plus a wife and plus kids and plus who knows what, how many other people are depending upon me. The chesronim and their deficiencies. So really, I'm in a situation of more peace, more rest, and I should see the bright side of that as well. Now, interestingly, I'd like to point something out, and then I want to zero in on something that we, we shouldn't misinterpret here in Bechavah's Lavavah's there's a tendency to misinterpret something here. And the, um, the Chavot HaVavos is saying we should think two things, right? Two things we should think to ourselves. Really, let's list it. It's really three basic things. And I want to show you the logic that the Chavot HaVavos is building this with. Firstly, the Chavot HaVavos says, you're not alone. Hashem is with you. That's number one. You're never alone. Right? So the definition that you get, say to yourself, I have no social interaction, right? I have nobody to relate to, I have nobody to communicate with, is not an accurate assessment. Right? You have Hashem. That's first of all. That's the Aleph. 
Now, this automatically blows away a tremendous way that we misinterpret how we relate to Hashem. See, we think that if we have a good friend or a good spouse, those are the people that we can open up our hearts to, those are the people that we can share with. But Hashem, Hashem is this religious stuff. To Hashem you have to do your duties, your obligations, you've got to put in your time, and so on and so forth. But Hashem is for religion, Hashem is for spiritual stuff, and to pour out your guts and to, and to confide and to talk and all of that, that's what you need for social interaction, that's what you need the friends for. And what the Chayim Salvavis is saying is, ah, that's where your first mistake is. Your first mistake is that you're making a big mistake, that the same way that you see that the value of the friend is that that's the person that you can relate to, that's the person you can talk to, that's the person that you can share with, you've got a big mistake. You don't have those people, but you're still not alone. You have a Hashem that serves the same function. Safsa Belika. The Chayvus Havavis, very interestingly here, doesn't refer to Hashem as Melech HaLeilam and all of that. It refers to Hashem, Tzavsa Belikam, a comradeship with Hashem. Hashem is your friend. Talk to Him. Communicate with Him. Tell Him what's on your mind. Tell Him what's in your heart. That kind of a thing. And therefore, the Chayvus Havavis is saying is, you're never alone. So your first mistake is that you're not making an accurate assessment of the situation. No matter how alone you believe you are, you're not alone. Because there's one person that you never consider talking to and is the most valuable person to talk to, and that's Hashem himself. That's number one. That's the first thing. So the first thing that Chayvah Salvav is saying is you're misinterpreting the situation. That's number one. You're not alone. Right? The statement that you're alone is not an accurate statement. That's number one. Number two, the Chayvah Salvav then goes ahead and says, yeah, that's very nice, but I'm more alone than other people. That's the next statement that the Chayvah Salvav is a why. Because everybody else has Hashem, plus all of the people that he interacts with. <coughs> but I only have Hashem. I don't have all the other people. So even if you give me this, this fancy way of looking at it and saying that I'm not alone, but I am more alone than other people. Because other people have Hashem, plus all the other people, and I only have Hashem. To which the Chayvah Salvav is saying, uh-uh, they're just as alone as you are. Right? They have social interactions, but really, really what the real person is, is his neshama. And his neshama really is alone in this world. Your neshama is alone, and the other person's neshama is alone. They're all alone. So the idea that you're saying, yeah, I'm not alone, but they are less alone than I'm alone, is not true. Every person, in, in terms of what the core of his being is all about, is really, in a certain sense, very much alone in this world. Right? Uh, the neshama is very much of a stranger in this world. That's number two. So that's the next logical step that the Chayvah Salvavis is saying. Then from that, the Chayvah Salvavis says, and keep in mind that the, the person that's the biggest social uh, bee around, when he leaves the world, he goes by himself, he has nobody to take with him, nobody that can help him, Right? And we explained that the point of this was that the person should always keep in mind that what was the value of the social interaction? The whole value of the social interaction. Right? So what was in step two? Let's go through it. Like step two is, you're saying you're more alone than them. So the Chavos is saying, no, you're not more alone. They're just as alone as you are. Or you have as much company as... The only thing that makes the person not being alone is the fact that he has a relationship with Hashem. 
That's really, really, because what's the essence of the human being? The neshama. Being that the neshama is the essence of the human being, right? So, and, and, so, and it's that which is looking for comradeship. It's that that's looking for a relationship. So where is that relationship served? With Hashem. So the same, so, so the same need for a relationship that you have, which is a relationship with Hashem, every person that possesses a neshama has also that need for the relationship that is compatible with his neshama, which is Hashem. Now, that was in step number two. In step number three, the Chalvus goes ahead and says, yes, that's all very nice. But you're not going to dismiss the fact that besides the relationship that my neshama has with Hashem, which means that I'm not alone anymore, but there are other parts, there are other social interreactions which help me in my ultimate relationship with Hashem. So the Chalvus says, fine. But just as long as you understand that the social interreaction is to help you with your relationship with Hashem, so then everything is all right, because then you see the social interreaction as a means towards an ultimate goal, and therefore now you have to analyze for yourself. Now that I don't have these social interreactions, maybe I'm being expected to look towards the goal without some of these, without some of these mediums. But you see the logic that the Chavos HaVavos is going with. First of all, you're not alone. That's number one. You want to say that you're more alone than another person? You're not. Because what they need more than anything else is a comradeship with Hashem. Right? And that's ultimately what, which will, what will define if they are alone or not alone. And that's the same thing that you need. So then you go to the next step and you say to yourself, yes, but they also have other social interreactions. So then you ask yourself, well, what's the value of those social interreactions? When you leave the world, you can't take them with you. So what are you so desperate to have them for? You can only be desperate to have them if you can see how you can take them with you. In other words, that you can use them in a way that when the time comes, you can take them with you. So what is the Chavos is trying to jolt us to remember? That the social interreaction shouldn't be seen as a goal unto itself, but a means to eventually being able to reach Hashem. So therefore the Chavos HaVavis is saying, so the Chavos HaVavis is saying, so one person reaches Hashem with social interreactions, and another person will reach Hashem without the social interreactions. That's step number three. Now the Chavos HaVavis says, now that we've put all of that down, which is, number one, number one, you're not alone. Number two, if you are alone, it's only because your Nisham is beckoning for a comradeship with Hashem, and that's what everybody is, is beckoning for, so number three, and then if you still have on top of that social interreactions, see them only for their purpose of that ultimate comradeship with Hashem, and Hashem wants you to get there in the absence of those social interreactions. So now the Chavah <laughs> says, now when I go to step four, I can understand step four. What's step four? Now when I see how less, how little I have to do, and how much more other people that have all these social interreactions have to do, I can see the brighter side to it. And I can say to myself, think for a moment, the fact that I don't have all of these obligations and I don't have all of these worries can be seen as a gift. Why can it be seen as a gift? Because if I've already made the premise that the social interreactions aren't intrinsically valuable unto themselves, but the social interreactions are valuable because they're a means towards the goal, so if I can show you that without the social interaction, my goal can even be served better or easier, so then I'm happy. In other words, before the Chalvas HaVavas made statement number three, that the social interaction is a means towards a goal and not a goal, we could still not understand number four. 
Because what is number four? Number four in the Chavos HaVavos is be happy that you don't have so many obligations. So the person says, no, I'd like to have some obligations. It gives me happiness to have obligations. It gives me happiness to be tied to people. But being that the Chavos HaVavos says in step number three, then what is your tie to social interaction? Why should you want it? Because it leads you towards your goal. So now the Chavos HaVavos says, so if the ultimate value of the social interaction is because it reaches you towards your goal, it's not a goal in itself, but it reaches you towards your goal, see that not having a social interaction can get you there easier, quicker, and with less challenge than if you would have the social interaction. Now, for a person that sees social interaction as a goal unto itself and not a means towards a goal, you can't tell a person like that, be happy that you don't have so many obligations. Because so what do you mean, be happy that I don't have so many obligations? I want to have the obligations, I have happiness in the obligation. But if you tell the person that the obligation of social interaction is not an end unto itself, but a means towards the end, so if I can prove you that you can get to the goal without those means, so then you should be happy with it. And this is what the Chavos HaVavis is logically going through over here. These are the four steps. You're not alone. And to the degree that you are alone, in essence, every person is alone. And every person needs that comradeship with Hashem. That's what makes the person not to be alone in this world. To the degree that you still argue, I like social interaction, remember that social interaction is a means towards a goal. And therefore, if you're free from the social interaction, it means that you can get to the goal with less bother, with less worry, with less challenge. So be happy with the fact that you have less obligation of social interaction. These are the four steps that the Chovas HaVavis is taking. Now, this is, this is something which is, which is, is very critical because it really puts a lot of things into perspective. It puts a lot of things into perspective. The only thing which I'd like to caution, I'd like to caution here is that a person can walk away from this entire description of the Chovas HaVavis almost maintaining that the Chovas HaVavis says is saying that a person's emotional needs a person can rationalize away all of the hunger that he has for emotional needs because he can say to himself your emotional needs and your social interactions which are fed by your emotional needs which are fed by your social interactions are all you know you're not alone and your only thing your only thing is to come close to Hashem and, and you can get there with less obligation and more obligation so be happy that you have less so a person can think to himself isn't this whole formula that Bechavah Savavah is creating here almost a way of saying to a person that if a person wakes up one morning and says to himself I'm hungry or I want to be able to be in the position of being able to give love Right? So a person can open up over here to page 2, whatever this page over here is, and say, well, the Chobos HaVavos says that we're all strangers, and that the ultimate comradeship is with Hashem, and that social interaction is a means towards a goal anyhow, and be happy that you have less obligation, and forget about your feelings. Right? Why won't we make this mistake? Or where is the fallacy in the, in the application of what we've just learned to the particular circumstance that I said? Now, if a person does interpret it the way I've, I've interpreted it, the person is denying themselves and is not going on a path that's going to get them to Hashem. But what's the difference? What's the difference between what I just said in the Chavos HaVavis and the person that wants to love will be loved and is quickly told to forget about all of these things? So the answer is as follows. Let me try to say it and then if there's comments and questions 
I'll gladly take that. Let me, let me point it out. What the Chavos HaVavos is teaching us is not a denial of emotional needs. That's not what the Chavos HaVavos is saying. Emotional needs are important and essential. A person needs them. Right? A person has them. And a person's not supposed to deny them either. The Chavos HaVavos is not saying that a person's supposed to deny them. What the Chavos HaVavos is saying is that it's always important to be able to put one's emotional needs into perspective. In other words, it's not a question of denying the validity and the legitimacy of those needs. They are valid and they are legitimate. But why are they so important to me? In other words, this is a, this is a major distinction between the way a Jew acts uh, and a Jew performs and a Jew thinks and a Jew feels. This is a major difference between the Jew and 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 I hate to use the word regiment, but the control and the structure and the parameters of a Jew as opposed to as opposed, for instance, to people that don't don't have this particular construct of Torah and Judaism. This is a major difference. Everything is legitimate. Everything is valid. Right? But towards what end? For what reason? What do I want it for? Why is it so crucial to me? Why do I thirst for it? Right? And this is now. It could very well be that a person thirsts for it because he's a normal human being. And a normal human being wants to love and wants to be loved. Let's use that emotion as an example. Right? It's the simplest of the emotions to be able to relate to. And, but what the Jew then does is, okay, this is what I am, and this is the kind of human being that I am, and this is my psychology and my nature, but if God created me, if Hashem created me in a way that I want to love and be loved, the question is, why did Hashem create me with such a need? Right? Why, why, why am I searching for such a thing? And then the person begins to analyze what is the perspective, what's the focus of these emotional needs. And that's what the Chayvah Salvavis is saying. What the Chayvah Salvavis is saying is that if a person finds themselves to be alone, being alone can be something which is very painful. But the Chayvah Salvavis is saying after everything is said and done, what is the ultimate pain? The ultimate pain is because if I would have these needs served correctly, I would be a better human being coming close to Hashem. That's, in other words, now, a person is not necessarily instantly on that madrig, on that level. I have the needs, right? I have the needs. I don't necessarily have the connection of understanding that those needs are needs that if they are served and if they are fulfilled, I'll be a fuller person in terms of coming to Hashem. But the depth of it is that that's really why Hashem creates the person that way. Hashem creates the person in a way that he is fulfilled through the satisfaction of certain needs which are met and by his being fulfilled and satisfied with, by certain needs that are, are met. He is a more wholesome and a more energetic and a more you know, vibrant human being and then he can relate to Hashem in a relationship as well because he has, he has a sense of a satisfaction in a relationship within his own life. But the thing that always is worthwhile to keep in mind is don't isolate don't isolate those needs and those emotions from the fact that having those needs and having those emotions met, their ultimate gain and their ultimate purpose is that I will be a more vibrant human being in my relationship with Hashem. Keep that part of it in perspective. We usually see it as two separate things. I have 
I have my obligations in my relationship with Hashem, and then I have my own personal, quote-unquote, emotional needs. What the Chayvah Sabbatis is saying is that the depth of a Yid is that all of his emotional needs are there to be fulfilled, and by being fulfilled he has a more vibrant being that is now open and alive and thumping away with life in terms of how he can relate now in a healthy relationship with Hashem. A person that has a healthy relationship at home can have a healthy relationship with Hashem. Right? Now, it doesn't mean that's the only way the person can have a healthy relationship, but one thing carries over into the other. And this is why Shleim HaMelech, all through Shir Hashirim, all through the Song of Songs, gives comparisons of the love of Hashem to Klal Yisrael and Klal Yisrael to Hashem by the love of, of man and wife. Again, bringing across the point that all of my needs and the satisfaction of my needs that come through with social interaction and relationships makes me the healthy, vibrant human being to be able to apply that same kind of a sense of relationship in my relationship with Hashem. Now, once that's in perspective, once that's in perspective, so now the person that sees themselves going through life in a very alone way, in a very seemingly a very alone way, now he's still alone and he still has the needs. But he says to himself that ultimately the significance of those needs are because if I will be a healthier person in social interaction, I'll be so a healthier person with Hashem. So therefore, I will never let the absence of those needs in, in the social interaction to, so to speak, get me so off base, throw me so off the wall that I won't be able to relate to Hashem at, at all. Because why ultimately do I have those needs and why do I thirst for them to be fulfilled? Because by them being fulfilled, I will have the ability to have a healthier relationship with Hashem. So to the point that I can focus in and I can ask Hashem that those needs should be met and I have to do my best at all times to change my situation of being alone. Right? So the Chavos HaVavos isn't saying that the person that's alone should say to himself, fine, I can buy myself a one-bedroom apartment, be happy, and just talk to Hashem all day long. The person has to struggle and work and try to find ways of not being alone in life. There's no question that he has to do that. Absolutely, he has to do that. But the point that the Chavos HaVavos is saying is, but if you always keep in focus that the reason why you want the satisfaction of those needs is because if I'll be a healthier person in, my in, in relationships with people, I can be a healthier person with Hashem. So while I need it very, very much, I'll never look at not having those things to ultimately destroy my whole relationship with Hashem because then it's a contradiction. Listen to the, what the person is doing. Why do you have these needs so much? And why do you want these needs to be filled so much? Why do you want it so much? Because I want to be a healthy human being in relationships. And by being a healthy human being in relationships, I can be a healthy human being in a relationship with Hashem. So don't take it to the point of becoming depressed. Don't take it to the point of giving up on life. Because if you're doing that, so then what, what got you to being depressed? Because you can't have a healthy relationship with Hashem. And, so, and where are you now, now that you got the depression over it? You certainly don't have a healthy relationship with Hashem. So you're working against yourself. You're a, it's a contradiction within yourself. So this is what the Chavos HaVavos is saying. The Chavos HaVavos is not saying that a person should deny the needs. And a person should strive to fill those needs. 
And a person should ask Hashem every day that those needs should be satisfied. But a person should always understand that why do I want them to be fulfilled is because I want to be a healthier person with Hashem. So if a person always reminds himself that he wants those things because he wants to be healthier with Hashem, he will never take the deprivation of those needs, not having those needs, to the point of destroying the little strands and the little shreds of a relationship that he could have with Hashem. And that's what the Chavos HaVavos is saying. So the Chavos HaVavos is not saying a denial of the needs. The needs are there and they're there because Hashem wants them to be there and Hashem wants us to hunger for those needs and Hashem wants us to search for the satisfaction of those needs, of those needs because that whole process is a process which repeats itself in my relationship with Hashem as well. And I need those kinds of situations and thirst and fulfillment and satisfaction in, in, in my social interactions so that now I can sense what that kind of a thing is and apply it to Hashem. I can sense the satisfaction, apply it to Hashem. If I'm a fulfilled human being in a relationship, I can be a fulfilled human being in a relationship with Hashem as well. So keeping that in focus is not a denial of the needs, but it's putting the needs in their perspective. And therefore, for as long as I don't have the needs, I can always keep them in, a, in, a, in, in perspective. I will never look at my not having those needs in a way to destroy that for which I want the needs so much to begin with. That's what the Chavos HaVavos is saying. Now, what the Chavos HaVavos is saying in Shara this could have been in any other Shara. What is it doing in Shara B'Tachan? It needs B'Tachan for the person to believe that he can retain a relationship with Hashem in spite of the fact that he doesn't have these interreactions. That needs to be toughened. To be able to understand that this person has it and I don't have it and I can preserve a relationship with Hashem in much the same way that the person that has the interreactions has, that requires be toughened. Because the instant reaction on the person's part is if he has, why don't I have it? And if she can have it, why can't I have it? And there's question and there's rebellion in the person when you see that the other one has it and I don't have it. Right? And to that you need the spice of bitachin. That's where you need the spice of bitachin, which puts the whole thing into perspective. There's a purpose. There's a reason. And the purpose can be met with the interaction. The purpose can be met without the interaction. So while obviously the healthy way of going is to have the interactions and to strive for them and want them, but always keep them in the perspective. And that's why the Chavos throws out so many ideas to us. You're not alone. The Chavos says, you're not alone. What is the Chavos trying to say? Put your needs into perspective. Your ultimate relationship is with Hashem. And your other relationships is what's going to give you the ability to have that relationship with Hashem. So you're not alone. And your need, your deepest need, is the identical need that every person has. So you're not alone. Don't look at the social interaction Right? Don't look at the social interaction as a go on to itself, but it's a means towards that goal. And therefore the Chavos finally says, and now comes the Bitachan. Look at the brighter side. Look at the side that maybe you'll be able to make that relationship with Hashem because there's a lot of nonsense that goes into social interaction. There's a lot of worry. There's a lot of nitpicky stuff. There's a lot of mundane that goes into social interaction that has absolutely nothing to do. Look at it for the positives. All of that you're freed up of. So you can concentrate more on the quality of the relationship with Hashem directly. This is what the Chavos HaVavos said. But it should never be interpreted, I can't say it enough times, it should never be interpreted that the person that is alone 
and is not being satisfied in what, what are for him basic human needs that the person should say to himself well the Chavah says I should thank Hashem for being alone and I should put a tag on myself I'm alone with Hashem leave me alone you know, that's not what the Chavah is saying here and that has to be that has to you know that's important to keep in perspective now obviously obviously this is easy to talk about and it's very very hard to apply very very because once you deal with emotions now all of the all of the understanding and all of the rationalization and all of the intellectualization it hurts I don't have it you know I want it it's not being fulfilled what, whatever those particular things are you know emotion has a way of saying but you know you know you give me this reason and that reason and this reason but you know there's always a but you know when it's coming from when you know when it's coming from that that uh, that point of emotion so it's a very big madraga a very very big madraga and the people that were able to so to speak be so to speak very aloof from 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 the pain of being alone we shouldn't look at that that they dismissed their emotional needs the people that were aloof and you know they just said well it wasn't important to them it wasn't that it was because they were able to to guide their emotions along in a way they were able to guide their emotions along in a way that they were always able to see the goal of why Hashem gave them those emotions so it wasn't as if they denied them or said they weren't important but they were able to put them and they were able to elevate them to the point of seeing that they're all towards a goal and I'm certainly not going to let it get in the way of my reaching the goal in their absence that was the greatness of these people and we have many examples of this I'd like to give you two examples of this this is very I, I talk a lot about this because and it's come up quite, very often because this is one of the major struggles that people have with Yiddishkeit they feel that their their psychology and their emotional needs and all of that is one whole set of things and that the Torah somehow has to fit into it superimposed upon it and we don't see a direct link between the two and the truth of the matter is that there isn't anything that's further from the truth right? Yiddishkeit recognizes emotional needs what Yiddishkeit does is that Yiddishkeit says that the emotional needs are are also God-given qualities, God-given needs, God-given thirsts and searches within the person and it attaches a perspective to those needs right? it's not the, uh, the denial of the need or a superimposing of other things oh, you have a need but I got something more important for you to do today which is sometimes the way it's viewed and then the humanist will say Torah is, is, is for God and that I have to live like a human being the humanist's argument against against religion. The truth of the matter is that Yiddishkeit, if it's understood well and its psychology is understood well, is the most humanistic, humanistic approach towards fulfilling the person's need. Not necessarily by the yardstick that he approaches it with, but by the ultimate yardstick of what the person's needs are and where those needs come from being created from Hashem. Hashem knows what where the needs are coming from and what is the context of the need. And I'd like to give you two examples of this. One example from the Chumash and one example from the Chavos Havavos that we already past learned. Right? And uh, we might not have realized that it skimmed over it quickly. 
We explained it in a certain way, and I'd like to explain it a little bit differently this evening. The example that I'd like to give you from the Chumash is from Yaakov and Yosef. Right? Yaakov has, has mourned Yosef for 22 years, and then he finally comes to realize that Yosef is alive. He's in Egypt. He's in the worst place in the world, spiritually and morally. And he is who Yosef had Sadiq with Sifai. He's the same Yosef in every sense of being a child of Yaakov as he was before. Could you imagine the love? Could you imagine the happiness that Yaakov had at the moment of seeing Yaakov and Yosef in the grandeur that he was with the fullest grandeur of his spiritual caliber and moral cal- caliber that he had before? It was stupendous. The happiness, the simcha, the sense of fulfillment, not on physical levels, even on spiritual levels, stupendous. And at that moment, that ya- this all comes in front of Yaakov, because Yaakov was well, the one that was suffering from the lack all these years, and Yosef is hugging and crying on y- Yaakov's shoulders, Yaakov is saying Kriyashma. Yaakov is saying Kriyashma. Now, the question that comes up is if it was the time of Kriyashma, why wasn't Yosef saying Kriyashma? And if it wasn't the time of Kriyashma, so why was Yaakov saying Kriyashma? Right? So if you want to be cute about it, you can say that there were, you know, there's a dispute what the time of Kriyashma is, the Maghnavrug, and the Gaur. So Yosef was with one time and Yaakov was with the second time. You can be cute about it, but that's, that's a lot of nonsense. That's not the reason. The reason is because Yaakov understood, Yaakov understood that all circumstances of life and all emotional needs and all emotion and their satisfaction or their lack of their satisfaction and their lack of their fulfillment. Yaakov now understood when he stood in front of Yosef that that whole spectrum of emotional needs, fulfilled or unfulfilled, are all part of a great plan of bringing the human being close to Hashem. And when he finally realized that at that moment he felt that there was nothing better to say than a proclamation of his utter and total belief in Hashem. There is no area where Hashem hasn't infiltrated. There is no area that isn't touched by, by Hashem, including human emotion. And up to this point, Yaakov questioned his, his lack, his, his losing a child and everything that that child meant. Why is Hashem taking this away from me? Why am I missing it? Why am I missing? Why, is, why has Hashem wrenched away from me something that He has already given me? It's, not, it's, it's in a certain sense even harder than not having it to begin with. And Yaakov had a question. There is Hashem and there are emotions. And the two of them don't jive. The two of them don't come together. I don't understand how Hashem is humanist and sensitive to emotional needs. So if you want to say that Hashem is above it, fine, Hashem is above it, but I'm still hurting and I don't understand it, and I can't relate to that part of Hashem, and that dimension of Hashem. But when Yaakov finally came to Mitzrayim and saw Yosef, and saw that there was a purpose for Yosef being there, and that Yosef retained everything in terms of his being a son, Yaakov began to realize that what I understand as being a lack of the fulfillment of the need maybe wasn't a lack of the fulfillment. But Hashem had things that had to be done, had things that had to be accomplished, and that Hashem wasn't, and that Hashem wasn't just totally den- denying and, and dismissing the value of those needs but Hashem is a builder and Hashem is a creator and there are many things that have to be done and accomplished and they all fill, fall into this plan so at this point in time when it, this is all given back to Yaakov because those needs have been because the purposes of Yosef being in Mitzrayim have been met 
and he gets all of it back. It's yours. I didn't want to take it away from you. If there was an interim of time that you had to live without it, there were purposes for it and there were reasons for it. So what did Yaakov at that moment in time come to realize? That Hashem and emotions are not in contradiction. When he realized that, he was willing to face Hashem in every dimension of Hashem. So Yaakov felt that this was the moment in time when he had to say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokein, Hashem Echa. Hashem is virtually one. He touches all areas. There aren't areas where he is and other areas where he doesn't touch. Which would mean that Hashem is not Echad anymore. If there are areas that Hashem touches and other areas where he doesn't go, then it means those areas are separate areas. So there's Hashem and then there are separate areas. And Hashem is not Echad. And up to this point, Yaakov questioned Hashem's touching and infiltrating and being in all areas. At this moment in time, when he got back everything, and he realized that he never had ever lost it, but that there were other things that had to be accomplished in ways that only Hashem knew, and only Hashem could predict ahead of time, then Yaakov said, this time of the tremendous upsurge of human emotion in love, and delight and simcha and in in Yosef, I'm not going to make the mistake and exclude Hashem anymore. And that's why while Yosef wept and, and hugged ya- uh, Yaakov, Yaakov was saying Kriyashma. Yaakov was putting the emotions once and for all in their proper perspective. That's Yaakov and Yosef. Now let's give the example that we have in the Chavos Halvavos. In the Chavos Havavos itself, let's turn back a little bit, not so many weeks ago, right? and the Chavos Havavos talks about bitachon, the bitachon of the farmer. He seeds the field, he plows the field, he turns it over, he irrigates it, he takes the weeds out of the field. And at that point in time, it is very easy for the farmer, or easier for the farmer, to have bitachon and Hashem. Why? Because he knows how vulnerable he is. The tomatoes aren't there. Who knows? Maybe five inches of rain will come and it'll make a mudslide and all of my work will be down the drain. He knows how tremendously vulnerable he is. So if you demand of the farmer at that point in time be talking in Hashem, I think he's a little bit more open to be talking in Hashem. But the Chavah says, that's not where the be talking of the farmer ends. If you look carefully, the Chavah says, that one of the biggest challenges of Bitachin come when the tomatoes start coming out of the ground. Because when he begins to reap the benefits of what seem to be directly his efforts, so he looks at the tomatoes, he says, you know why that tomato is bigger than that tomato? Because over here I put a little extra energy. You know why this apple is better than that pear? Because I spent two days here and only one day there. And then what the person says to himself, you're great, look what you did, look what you made. And what does he do? He takes this emotion of happiness and he says to himself, I'm so delighted with what I have and why am I delighted with what I have? Because I made it. And the Chobos says if the person makes the mistake at that point, the next time the farmer goes out to the field as barren as the field is and as much as he has to plow it and weed it and irrigate it and everything, He's going to have a heck of a time trying to have Bitachan and Hashem. Because what has happened? Because in his success and in the way he directed the happiness of the last year's crop, it's very hard for him to have Bitachan today. So therefore, what does the Chavos HaVavos say? The Chavos HaVavos doesn't spell this out, but this is in the words of the Chavos HaVavos. If you read them over again, the Chavos HaVavos says you've got to have Bitachan when you're plowing the field. And then there's even a greater challenge of Bitachan 
when you have the success in what you're doing. Because at that moment of success and happiness, the natural way that we deal with the emotion of happiness is, leave me alone. What do you have to tell me why I'm being happy? I'm happy because I'm happy. I have. I, uh, yesterday I didn't have. Today I have. That's something to be happy for. Now you're going to start giving me a knage and a reason. I'm happy because I shouldn't gave it to me. Leave me alone. I'm happy because I have. The Chayvah says, no, that's not the way the Jew deals with emotions. Right? Because sometimes a person builds himself or destroys himself not by the times where he does things out of rote and out of consistency, but at the moments that he does things with emotion. A person can create more in a moment of pain or in a moment of happiness much more so than he does in miles and miles of things that he does with a total lack of emotion. There's no way of judging what a person can accomplish in the depth of spiritual growth or regression when it is done with the vibrancy and the vitality of an emotion, for instance, of happiness. Svaram Akdashim and Sifra Chasidus it said how far a person can grow and how far a person can perceive and how far a person can reach through different intense emotions. Those are times that reach very, very deep. And therefore the Chavah says, ah, it's very easy when everything is just out there and you don't know if it is or if it isn't going to be. But Bitachin isn't only for those times. Bitachin is for the time when the person is in the most heightened senses. In the most heightened senses of delight and happiness, that's where all of a sudden the Yid also has the ability of coming in on that situation and saying, sure, I'm happy, and I have a lot to be happy for, and I have a lot to be delighted for. And if you look carefully at the Chavos he gives a list of how I'm supposed to explain my happiness to myself. But the point is, I have to explain the happiness to myself. And it's not a contradiction to the happiness. Let me give you a marshal, let me give you an example of this concept. It was a story is told of two Hasidim that were dancing on Simchas Torah. And they danced and they danced and they danced and they danced until there was nobody left on the floor except these two Hasidim. And they became the obvious talk of everybody around. Who is going to laugh out the other one? Who is going to dance even though the other one said, listen, I don't have any breath, I don't have any strength left. And everybody was putting up their bets, so to speak. Who was going to tire first? And they asked the Hasidic master, the Chedushi Haren, who do you think is going to be the one that's going to tire faster? And the Chedusha Arim made the prediction, and sure enough, as he predicted, this one lasted longer than the other. And the Hasidim came over to him afterwards and says, how did you know? How did you know? And the Chedusha Arim gave a very insightful answer, which pertains here very particularly. And he says the following. He says, this Chassid was dancing for the Torah that he had already learned. And this Chassid was dancing for the Torah that he was going to learn. So the amount of Torah that you did learn is after everything is said and limited. The amount of Torah that you can learn and will learn into the future is unlimited. And that's why I knew that that was the Chassid that was going to dance longer. Now what does that story say? What that story says is that the intensity of emotion, the quality of emotion, the happiness and the fulfillment and the satisfaction that can come out of an emotion of happiness is not denied and it's not minimized when the person attaches to it a value, when a person attaches to it a goal, when a person attaches to it a focus, a perspective. It doesn't. That's quality happiness. That's quality emotion. And that's what a yid is all about. Emotions have their place. They're not denied, but they are within context. They're put into a perspective. They're put towards a goal. They're seen with a quality. 
the chassid that's dancing with happiness for the Torah that he's going to learn. It's a happiness, but it's a happiness that's attached to a quality, to a concept, right? And by it being attached to a quality to a, and to a concept, as opposed to let's just booze it out, and so to speak, and just let it hang all out, so to speak, that's the, that's the musag, that's the concept when we're talking about the perspective of emotion. And that's what the Chavis Havavah says over there in his innocent little way with the farmer. Ah, oh, when the happiness comes, that's when the challenge only begins in the, in the challenges of Bithachim. And this is basically what the Chavis Havavah is doing over there. Yeah, I'll take, now that I've rambled on and on, I'll take some questions or comments. Yes. One thing I want to say, when you're talking about the farmer, the happiness, <coughs> and we're really close to Bithachim, especially then, that brought to mind what we said I guess should be so bad to this mitzvah. In exile. I mean, that's like you're real happy. So this is yes. It's reminding you that to this mitzvah, so good. You know, the chagim reminding us that that there's something else. Right, and, the, and the, the thing that's above is not in contradiction to this. Right, that's what no. gives the whole quality. That's what infuses the the qualitative happiness into into this. But that see that see that's across the board. It's not seen that way in the world. It's not seen that and that's really the difference between the two words, simcha and hailulus. That's the difference between the words. Simcha is something again which emerges from quality, which emer- emerges from purpose, from which emer- emerges from goals and from seeing it and focusing it and putting it into into in being a, a life force of growth. Hoylalus is just boozing it out, so to speak. It's just, you know, it's letting loose. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's and and an earmark, an earmark of, of and the strength, not the weakness, but the strength of a human being is.